Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, truth seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. Here's the number, 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at A Measure of Truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why not look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow, like, and repost us on Facebook and Twitter. Look, we have a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Because I Can is a community outreach nonprofit that has a positive impact on urban youth by teaching and empowering their mentees and real-life skills that can immediately affect change in their lives, communities, and their potential to succeed. That features a computer literacy program that focuses on computer concepts and terminology to support computer coding skills, where students develop programs and applications that can be applied in schools and at home. A health and wellness program that promotes the value of physical fitness and healthy diet and a stock market education program that focuses on the introduction of concepts and terminology of the stock market that actually gives students hands-on experience in live day trading. And finally, a mentoring program that provides guidance and directions to promote a positive change in mindset in the lives of each and every participant. 
Ron Nicholson, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us. You know, you have a very, very unique organization, and I've heard of quite a few that are, you know, set up to reach out to youth, but everything about your organization is just, you know, very unique in a very special way. First of all is Because I Can. Tell us a little bit about um, what brought you to the title of your organization and what you guys actually do. Uh, I grew up in... Uh in Southeast Washington, D.C., um, and uh, went on to uh, uh, major in computer science uh, at North Carolina State University. And when I, I came back to uh, Washington, D.C. After, after college, and one of the missions and vision that, vision that I had was to give, serve and give back to the community. Um, and it started uh, about 20 years ago volunteering in the basement of a church off Georgia Avenue. Uh, so we had some computers that were donated for, by Motorola, and a colleague and I, we, we built the computers and started doing some training, some classes, us with youth in the neighborhood 20 years ago. So I had the passion um, for what I'm doing today, and our model for Because I Can, we came up with that, that name um, because of a slogan we, we kind of um, bounced around uh, amongst the founders, uh, because I can, you can, we can. So as a community, mm. everyone pulling together, uh, we can make an impact. Yeah, and and, and, it, and it's almost like um, a, a war cry as well. You know, as far as you know, the things that you do, why not do them because you can? You know, you know, why hold back? You know, anything that you think that you can do to help. And, and I love that name uh, so much because it, it speaks volumes about, you know, the attitude I'm sure that you're instilling in these young people as well. Right. We are, we're attempting to empower them, for them to reach heights and goals that uh, they may not hear from day to day on a day to day basis. And one of the things that we're attempting to address is the digital divide. There's a true digital, digital divide in this country and definitely in our area. And we see it every day. And if you don't, if you're not equipped with the right resources, skill sets, and tools, you can't compete. And we see this this factor, you know, even in our youth today, and, and some of the things that they're dealing with. Now, one of the first foundations of um, your organization, as you explained, is computer literacy. And um, you know, it, it's amazing now that. Young people today, if this was 15 years ago, they probably would not have the same um, fast start in understanding and using computers as they do in today's world because of kids using computers and cell phones and things like that. So, you know, when a, a young person also starts in computers and starts to learn these things at a, another level, um, the younger you are when you learn these things, the more they make sense to you and you're able to grow in them and, um, you know, utilize them in a way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're able to instill in students at such a young age. Um, I see here coding skills and things like that. Let's talk about what they're actually learning and what they're able to do. It's, it's grown over time. It was first... Uh and these are uh, youth as young as from five years old on up. Uh, mm. And it was first an introduction to some, some basic basic components about computers and, 
and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature, hardware versus software. It's giving us some introductory concepts and terminology. And then it, it, it continued to grow into uh, developing the ability to learn how to code through graphical uh, software such as uh, Scratch and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun learning through by fun, by fun activity and giving them some skill sets that that they're going to need to compete. The uh, I'll throw this this statistic in here. The STEM field, by the data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, predicts the STEM field will add one million new jobs to the U.S. economy by 2022. Mm. So any youth, any young adult taking advantage of the STEM field will have a chance for employment and. So we're trying to instill that into our youth at an early age about being marketable and um, having a skill that they can take anywhere. And we've seen the confidence grow in our youth. And just, you know, for the people who aren't familiar with the acronym STEM, tell them what that stands for. So that's science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's pretty much... Uh, Maybe about ten years ago, a little bit, well, a little bit about twenty eleven, it really started to gain some impact. Where you saw programs and and curriculums geared towards the uh, geared towards STEM, and uh, you see it now with uh, a lot of schools uh, having STEM curriculums as early as uh, second grade second grade is eight, nine years old. So mm-hmm. it's, unfortunately, there are some communities, there are some demographics that are not given those opportunities. And that's what we want to address, that, that gap. Right. And so what did you see, Ron, going on in your own? You said you grew up in southeast Washington. Um, I'm actually from southeast as well, right over there on S Street off of um, okay. Good okay. Road. Yeah. Yeah. And, um what did you see in your neighborhood, um, in your community, that you thought that you could address and you wanted to change? Well, first of all, you know, it was given a stereotype, um, and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of folks over there were already told that they would never, they wouldn't make it, they wouldn't be able to achieve things, and I, I know. Uh, um, on first on a first hand basis, there are a lot of diamonds in the rough. Um, there's a lot yeah. of folks that can achieve if given the opportunity. So I got involved with that that mindset early on that if anyone's given an opportunity, they can achieve. They just need to give it up, be given that opportunity. And that that was that that was one of the main factors that drove me to. Because I can't. Yeah, yeah, and and it's great when people um, are committed to looking back and going back and making a change. Um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you were raised, and what what instilled those values in you that you should, um, you know, never forget where you came from. Well, I was fortunate. I'm a, I'm a, my father was in the military, uh, so we traveled a lot. Uh, he spent his last stint over at the Pentagon, 
and my parents were hard workers. Um, they always uh, taught us to work for whatever we uh, the, work for whatever we wanted, and the sky was the limit. My father, I can remember this state, but he would always say, uh, "Try to be the best at whatever you choose to be. If you want to be a, a janitor, be the best janitor. If you want to be uh, a school teacher, be the best school teacher. Whatever field you choose, just try to be the best." He strove. He, he had a strive for excellence, um, and if we didn't meet that mark. He was still being a pretty good, uh, in pretty good shape. Um, so they were they, they taught us still ethics and, and and morals and helping out our fellow man. And my father was the one that would, and my mother too. They, he wouldn't turn his back on anyone. If you needed help and if he could assist, he he would do that. And one thing that I'll say, he also added to to me to to uh, to to myself and my siblings. My father. Uh, taught us to be colorblind. You don't know where your help is going to come from. And mm. I, I, I take that model today. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm open. I'm open. And we've had, even with the cause I can, some help from some individuals that have that just, um, you know, been instrumental in our keto success. Now, you have health and wellness, computer literacy, stock market education, which really surprised me, and, of course, mentoring. So tell us where um, health and wellness fits in as well as um, stock market. And let's start with the health and wellness piece. So we also doing some research before we started our organization. We looked at computer literacy and our financial literacy and our flagship programs. But we also, also understand that there is a gap in understanding uh, about healthy healthy living. And we, we want to develop an organization that will change a mindset for generations to come. And mm-hmm. so not only have you redeveloped your skill sets so that you can be employable, we also want you to instill into you factors to, to improve your health and uh, the, the importance of, of, of living a healthy lifestyle. And now certain communities, um, they don't have um, some of the resources that promote a healthy lifestyle. And so we come to bring that message as well. Um, so, you know, between health, uh, a career, um, you have there's a potential for wealth building for generations to come. And we look at Because I Can, an organization that hopefully gives an opportunity to change the mindset of families for generations, just not for individuals, for generations. Yeah, yeah. And um, when we talk about the stock market piece, <laughs> um, what age range are we talking about? So the stock market, a colleague of mine uh, who has been uh, basically doing conducting classes and workshops for uh, college prep uh, days, days for years, uh, brought that to me and said, I would like to see if we can incorporate uh, the stock market education program to our organization. And I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know a lot about the stock market myself. I know mm-hmm. about 401k, but didn't know much about it. My parents never taught me about the stock market. Um, and I said, let's 
review it, and that's, 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 that's see what we can do. And the targeted age range is from middle school uh, ages to high school. So 12 years old on up, we found mm-hmm. it to be the most uh, effective uh, age group and demographic to be able to understand it. And we were able to, to get a partnership with TD Ameritrade. So wow. TD Ameritrade uh, has partnered with us. We use their simulated software. And so we actually have conducted classes where uh, the students, uh, after we teach the concepts and terminology, they actually uh, simulate live day trading. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun wow. to be an educational. And we always get parents <laughs> to say, what about us? When are you going to do classes for us? <laughs> right. So how long does this take place, this class for um, the kids on the stock market? It's an eight-week curriculum. Uh, we can wow. expand it as long as, as much as 12. It's a lot of material. Uh, we try okay. to make sure it's, it's fun. Um, but when they leave that class, they will be able to know, you know, they will be able to name the stocks, the, the companies on the Dow, on the Dow Jones. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to mm-hmm. understand the difference in markets. They'll be able to understand how to pick a stock based on its performance. We use technical analysis to do that. Um, and then they'll understand that it helps them with their math skills because so they understand what the amount of um, resources they have in their account, how many shares of the stock they can purchase. And it's really a lot of fun. And um I bet. Do they actually view it as a game <laughs> as well? It, it, you know, it's funny. They, they want the money. They're like, Mr. Rock, can I cash in this money? I'm like, no, this is simulation, guys. This is when you're able to earn money, you have your own accounts. And they're like, well, I'm doing so well. Can I actually cash in? Like, you can't. So they do, they do kind of look at it as a game, but it's it's very enlightening, and it's just an opportunity that a lot of the demographics that we serve aren't exposed to. Now, at first, I thought that when you, you said simulate live day trading, if it's through TG Ameritrade, that means it's actually based on the real market for that those days, right? That's that's correct. So, wow. while the actual live trading is is is, is occurring, they are. They're they're making choices. They're 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 uh, uh, monitoring uh, the actual activity of a stock in mm-hmm. uh, in, li- in live action. So it's it's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's great to put in such young impressionable minds something that really hooks them on something that's positive that they know they can do, that's another option to some of the other messages they may receive from the world about how you can make it. You know, this gives them something that they can see on their own. And once you set up an account, you can go back on there as well, as long as you have Internet access, log into your account, and still simulate trading, correct? Correct. We set them up for an account. They can practice at home. Uh, We have a professor account who checks checks their activity, monitors their activity. We encourage them to practice. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just another vehicle that um, when we when we actually brought it in for and, and tailored it as a curriculum, 
and we've had our, you know, we had our, uh, what's the right word we're looking for? We had some anxiety how this would mm-hmm. actually work. Could we get the message across? And because some of the students that we're teaching really don't understand the impact of the knowledge that we're sharing with them. Right. And so we were a little, little hesitant about how successful this would be, but it, it was it, it met our expectations and more. Uh, wow! Yeah, that that's it's already blown me away because I had scaled it down quite a bit, <laughs> but what they actually get out of it <laughs> is um, is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing stuff. Wow! So let, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about. Um, the mentoring piece too and how your mentoring program is set up and you know the impact it has on the kids and who it addresses sure um our mentoring is not set up for a one-on-one relationship um per se but Mm -hmm. we incorporate mentoring in all of our classes that we conduct uh we 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 talk about uh posture we talk about mm. etiquette. We talk about if I, I look at so the students before class starts, and I, I simulate if I was a hiring manager and I want to hire any of you, what are some of the things that I would look for? And I, we and we we actually teach them and and, and give them those. Uh, those skill sets to understand how important that is, that is. Also, we have a partnership with Georgetown University, so mm. we've scheduled tours for some of the youth to go tours to Georgetown. That's just to be on a college campus. Uh, Georgetown also provides us with uh, the athletic department partners with organizations, so we we actually take them out to a Georgetown basketball game and we socialize as a group. Um, mm. We recently just finished a tour to Google, Google over Northwest. So we talked right. to Google and, and to Google their their their, their uh, developers actually told our kids about some of the skill sets they needed. It was quite interesting. And we had the tour in July with Google. The programming, the coding language they mentioned is the exact coding language that the kids are learning. So that was oh cool. wow! So that, yeah, let them know they're right, they're on track. And, they're, they're, and that, I think I saw an increase in. Uh, it, uh, excitement about what they were learning because they know, hey, one day I might work for Google based on what I'm learning today. So, right, right, and they also have that background too, knowing how much that stock is worth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was told a long time ago, if you can't afford the stock, you can always try to work for the company. You work for the company, one or the other, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, that that is great. And um, Ron, it sounds like you got a really, really well-rounded program going. And um, I just wanted to know, um, take us through a typical day of, of what a, a kid would experience. What time does it start? When do you get the kids in? And just run us through um, pretty much how you organize your days for the children. Sure. So during the school years, an after-school program, we have uh, three separate age groups, uh, sorry, four separate age groups. We have a five to seven age group. We have a eight to nine age group. We have a 
uh, 10 to 11 age group, and we have a 12 on up age group. And we rotate those groups based on the weeks on on which group is being taught uh, what what curriculum. So we would get that age group in. We'll start with introduction of what we're going to cover for the day. Uh, it would for the younger group it normally starts with a PowerPoint presentation of what we're going to cover. And then we'll actually sit down and start going to work uh, following up the PowerPoint slides at, at, for the lesson for that, for that day. Um, for the other groups, or the 8 and 9 until 11 year old groups, uh, they log into their accounts. They have accounts under a language called Scratch, the coding language mm -hmm. that they're teaching. They log mm -hmm. into their accounts. I have a lesson plan up on the board, and they go, they go to work. So it's like uh, they log in, they have these accounts that we've created, and they actually start coding. And they'll code. Sometimes they'll be able to finish the coding uh, lesson in one session. Sometimes mm -hmm. they take more than one. Uh, wow. But these youth are developing their own knowledge of problem solving, uh, mm -hmm. being anal analytical. Sometimes they don't even know they are and getting them prepared for when we'll take them to the next uh, programming language. Right, right. And, you know, for youth to understand and learn problem solving is so important and to also understand the structure of it and what they're doing because a lot of times when young people find themselves in a situation, they react emotionally and um, will not make the right decisions just based on how they feel or what they're afraid of or what they assume that they don't want to happen. They can't seem to focus on the result that they do want. And uh, I find that that is just um, one of the critical skills that young people need today. And, um, you know, if you can impart that into someone, you have um, changed their life forever, you know. And... Um, it, it just sounds like the program that you have going is just amazing, and its impact is off the charts. And, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to one day just coming out and actually seeing what you guys do. Um, why don't we um, talk a little bit about your, your website and also what you guys do to raise money for your organization. So give them your social media and that information, and let's talk about some of the ways you fundraise. Sure. Uh, my Twitter address is at because I can DMV. That's our Twitter handle. Our website is www.becauseican.net, uh, and we're on Facebook as well. Because I can. Um, we have partnerships for, like I mentioned, Georgetown University, um, uh, University of Maryland offices of community engagement. Uh, provides us with uh, quite a few volunteers. We're also partnering with an organization called the Hope Project. Hope Project has computer, has computer interns, and the computer interns come and assist us in building our labs and maintaining our labs that we provide mm -hmm. for our students. Mm -hmm. So they've been very essential in the success of our labs and keeping them up, up to date. Um, so in kind of donations, we receive, and we, since we were relatively over three years old, we, we generate a lot income for fundraising and asking for uh, donations um, uh, from, uh, from both in-kind and monetary donations to help us uh, continue to provide the services that we that we do today. 
Um, and, you know, uh, until we continue, just until we land the, the first significant grant where we can expand our services, expand our location, mm. expand to multiple locations, uh, we're slowly but surely growing. It. We see growth and growth in capacity and what we're doing. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing seeing our organization grow uh, the way it is uh, and making an impact. That's the most important thing. It's making an impact. Um, I will share this. We surveyed uh, 20 families uh, over in a certain community last year. We surveyed these uh, families to see if they had Internet at home. And only four out of these 20 families had Internet at home. And so we partnered with Comcast and the Comcast Essentials Program to assist in getting some of these families Internet at home because you cannot compete today if you don't have Internet access. Then I found out, we found out, that quite a few families, families don't have computers at home. So we're working to get computers at home for some of these families because, again, the students cannot compete if they don't have technology at home. So a lot of uh, some of our students use our lab, computer lab, to complete homework, things of that nature. So there's definitely uh, there's definitely a lot of work to be done to 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 keep, uh, provide opportunities for certain groups that I feel have been left behind. Wow. Yeah, and and I can see where your organization is is needed. It seems like every time you find a niche where you can serve, you sort of build up around it. But what I want you to do right now, Ron, is to really think about the kind of help you need. It sounds to me like maybe you could use some expertise in some other areas. I'm not sure if you have grant writers already. But the people as far as their professions and the people that could probably contribute and volunteer their services to you, what do you really need to sort of take this thing to the next level? That's a very good question. Um, right now, the greatest need, we have grant, grant writer on staff, so we're sure. actually, good. Uh, we're actually good, performing, that, performing those actions. We're actually uh, going after grants and solicitations as we speak. Um, we always could use additional instructors, anyone who has comfortable and competency in computer literacy uh, and would love to help out and assist us in instructing. And anyone who in the financial area has some background in the stock market uh, 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 that is, and that uh, discipline, we could use that assistance as well. So those those would probably be the things that we would need assistance in and provide uh, additional structures. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, when you guys do a fundraiser, how does that typically um, look for you guys? Is it um, uh, a banquet or is it um, uh, GoFundMe? How, how do you structure that? And how can we help well, we, to bring more attention to it when that time comes? Okay. Well, so we're planning a health fair in January, the January 26th over in the uh, the North Lawn Community Center. So that's going to be one of our, one of our major fundraising activities that we're going to target. Uh, we're going to go in and, and uh, January is normally a prime time uh, month for 
after the holidays for folks who really want to focus in on health uh, and diet after the holidays. So we're going to piggyback off that for a fundraiser slash workshop event in January. Next month, we're, we're sending out a newsletter uh, that will be our, uh, one of our major donor campaigns to talk about what we've achieved over the last six months and how uh, anyone can help uh, us facilitate doing more uh, with their contributions and donations. So we'll be sending it out next month. So those are the two activities that we've targeted uh, uh, to assist us in what we need to continue to reach more youth and continue to provide our services. Yeah, and I want to add this, too. If your office has just bought a nod of computer equipment and they don't know what to do with the leftover laptops and other desktops that they just are going to just throw away, um, please contact Ron Nicholson's foundation. Um, it is B, the letter B, Cause I Can nonprofit. So it's B, Cause I Can dot net is the website all right and and and, you know we wish you a lot of um success in what you're doing you're already succeeding and um you know making a change in the lives of young people i mean you you can't do any better than that um and um, i appreciate the work that you do and the impact that you've had on your community and uh, i'm i'm just always excited to meet really awesome people who have found a way and found the time and have committed themselves and have developed a passion for doing just that. And I can't commend you enough, Ron, really. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for allowing us to get our message out to the, to the communities out there and what we're doing. And, you know, we, uh, we always say um, it's always about our youth and our future. And if we can if we can impact just one, man, an impact to just one, one of our one, one of our youth, we've, we've done something. So uh, we're going to continue to strive, continue to push forward, and we don't want to see any any child left behind, any any person left behind. So that that's our goal and our mission and our mission. All right. Now, um, if you have any special events or anything that's going on that you'd like to promote, um, please come back to us anytime you'd like. And I think we'd like to have you back on again, probably add you on with some other um, organizations out there that are, you know, doing stuff with the youth. I, I just love these kind of stories and like to see where you guys are going and how you're growing. So we want to definitely check in with you at least every six months as go, uh, if not just sooner because of the event that's coming up in January. But um, please don't be a stranger and don't ever feel like you can't contact me to to ask for help again. Anytime you need it. Well, I really appreciate that, Mike. Michael. I'll take you in that offer. And thanks again for having us. Okay. Well, we will hear from you real soon. And I'm still looking for an opportunity to get out there and just to see what you guys do uh, face-to-face. You're more than welcome. Anytime. Many of us come to church with an expectation of corporate worship, being filled with the Spirit, Bible teaching, seeking the presence of the Lord, and meaningful fellowship. But as Christian believers, there will come a time when your new member status has expired and you feel a greater calling that Sunday service and Bible study seem to have prepared you for. Yes, eventually, 
There'll come a time when we will no longer just look for what we can get for ourselves from the church for our benefit, but rather what we can commit of ourselves for the benefit of the church. My pastor, Dr. Leonard N. Smith of Mount Zion Baptist Church of Arlington, Virginia, has been preaching to us about new things in 2019, tapping into our spiritual gifts and talents and become creators of new things. In order to experience new things, we have to break some old habits and make a plan and see it through. You know, there's a lot going on in the world today that inserts into our psyche false goals, desires, and perceptions that give fictitious value to things that leave us dissatisfied and empty. I'm talking about the black mirror, not just your cell phone, but all of the screens, including your TV and tablets, that device that we think keeps us connected, that has somehow found a way to disconnect us from the life that we were meant to live. We've trained ourselves to spend a large part of our day interacting with people we don't really know, receiving praise for content that we didn't create or even contribute to, and searching for things that we didn't think that we needed to know until we found it. We feel that something is missing. There's too much in our day-to-day that keeps us busy with nothing to show for it. We want something more. We want to matter, and we want to have a positive impact in the lives of others. Somehow we're lost, and we are struggling to find our way back home. It didn't used to be this way. Some of you that have been searching for a greater calling and greater purpose in your life may have overlooked an opportunity to take a stand and make a difference that has been right in front of your eyes. I'm talking about the body of Christ, also known as the church. I myself have been appointed to a position in the church by my pastor, Dr. Leonard N. Smith of Mount Zion Baptist Church. Now, this has afforded me a purview that many may never see. These are the volunteers, missionaries, ministry leaders, and church staff that are truly the backbone of the church, that work tirelessly behind the scenes to do the work needed to create the worship experience that we have grown accustomed to. So yes, I've seen with my own eyes the dedication, the time spent after hours, the talent and passion for the work that they do to sustain the church as we see it from the pews. We are becoming a kingdom-focused church at Mount Zion Baptist Church, and we're blessed to have over 50 active ministries to choose from. Now, most serve as volunteers, but you see, it's not about prestige, position, or compensation. It's about service. I know I've lost a few of you right there, but trust me, it's just one of those things that you just don't get it until you get it. Stay with me. Here's some clarification. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 in the Message Bible, we read, In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. 
but as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all of these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 18 in the Message Bible, we read, I want you to think about how all of this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. We all have an important role to play, and God has already prepared us for how he would use us for his kingdom, using the abilities and spiritual gifts that we already possess and those that he will increase for his purpose. But yet it is still up to us to step out on faith and take the steps to do the very same thing that we're not sure that we can do. But that in itself is the problem. You see, it's not about you and your abilities and whether or not you know how to complete the task or if you've done it before. It's about faith and being obedient to what God has told you to do and your willingness to start the process with purpose. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 12 in the Amplified Bible, it reads, And his gifts to the church were varied, and he himself appointed some as apostles, special messengers, representatives, some as prophets, who speak a new message from God to the people, some as evangelists, who spread the good news of salvation, and some as pastors and teachers, to shepherd and guide and instruct. And he did this to fully equip and perfect the saints, God's people, for works of service to build up the body of Christ, the church. You see, when you use the spiritual gifts and abilities to serve, it's truly a blessing to see how far you can take them. Your true blessing is in pleasing God and in seeing him expand on the gifts that he has instilled in you to be a blessing to others. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in the Amplified Bible, it reads, For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used, for good works which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us.
First Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 6 in the Amplified Bible says, Now there are distinctive varieties of spiritual gifts, special abilities given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit operating in believers. But it is the same Spirit who grants them and empowers believers. And there are distinctive varieties of ministries and service, but it is the same Lord who is served. And there are distinctive ways of working to accomplish things, but it is the same God who produces all things in believers, inspiring, energizing, and empowering them. Well, before I go, I just want to thank all of you for the work that you do. Not just at Mount Zion Baptist Church, but at all churches that represent the body of Christ. I see you. I love what you do. And I admire your service and commitment. I just wanted to take a minute to help you push past the noise and remember from where your blessings flow. Well, enough talk. Let's get back to work. You just needed a minute to shake it off, gather a moment of clarity, and refocus on a measure of truth. Failure is not an option. It's an opportunity. Look, I'm not perfect, and though I've made many mistakes, I'm not a failure. Why may you ask? Because I rarely give up on anything. I'm not afraid to take a chance and be wrong. Why? For in every mistake hides a lesson called wisdom. And guess what? I'm not concerned with what others may think about my failed attempts. That's just me. It has become a part of who I am, and I'm cool with that. The truth is, when others would watch me and criticize my actions and assume that they were watching me do it all wrong, in actuality, they were watching me learn, grow, become wiser, and eventually an expert in the very thing that I would later accomplish and then master. This has been the way I've learned since I was a child, and it's a process that I've embraced to this very day because it is the most effective way of learning that I know. A very wise man once said, There is a positive side to everything that we survive in our lives. Every defeat, hurt, humiliation, or sickness will either lead us to a better place or change the way we live our lives. Even the man who attempts the thing that was once thought impossible very often has little competition. What I'm saying is, don't be afraid to fail. Look, don't plan to fail, but be not afraid. We don't always get to choose how we will be taught life's lessons. Our only choice is how we choose to respond. We cannot simply say that maybe things will go my way next time or blow off our mistakes and then try again. We must resolve to learn the lesson hidden in our errors, stay true to ourselves, and the goal of the better person that we know that we're going to be through our trials, 
and resist our negative responses, attitudes, and placing blame on others. If we don't, truth be told, you have less time than you think to get it right. I guess what I'm really trying to say is that it's okay to fail as long as your failure is driven by a quest for knowledge, wisdom, and a measure of truth. Everyone at some level desires to be loved and respected. And I get that. I'm no different. But most importantly for me, is I want to be able to live my life authentically. And be all that I am or any part of me that I choose to share at a moment's notice. At my own discretion. And on my own terms. This is a freedom that I hold very dear. I'm proud to say that there's a lot more to me than what's portrayed in my online profiles and not the other way around. And I'm happy to report that many of you can say the same. We all have a role to play in this vast experiment we refer to as social media. Many of you are feeling the pressure or burden of public life because of the up-close and personal interactions of your followings who somehow are under the illusion that they are your closest friends and therefore have the right to say and share comments and opinions that should never be part of the written timeline of your social media interactions. Every post, tweet, Instagram, or YouTube video is a gamble. And it's a process once initiated that can, at any given moment, spiral hopelessly out of control. But it's your choice to participate and at your discretion as to how far down the rabbit hole you choose to venture. But at all costs, don't let yourself be consumed because you failed to think it through. Social media has a life of its own after the post. What you meant for good could very well get lost in translation in the blogosphere. Many of us have been able to amass huge followings, and that in of itself is a great achievement. But this was never my goal. To be honest, I care far less about my image and what people may say or think about me than I do about being true to my purpose. To provide words of wisdom and encouragement to a listening ear or providing a platform for a voice that needs to be heard. Some of you have become a slave to your phone, responding to every chirp, buzz, or notification like a puppet waiting for your master's next command. While in the meantime, while you busy yourself with your prompt reply or trendy hashtag, life is happening all around you without your valuable input. While you sit on the bench waiting for the balance to shift, in your favor. Life is happening right here and now. But if you're not present and in the moment, are you really living? Stop living your life in snippets that you hope to share more than you hope to live to the fullest. What's my point? Well, I'm not looking to prove anything to you as much as I would like to share with you a pathway to release some of the burdens that you've attached to yourself. 
live your life unbound and fully aware of the potential around and within you. There is a path to navigate through the madness and see a way clear to the light at the end of the tunnel. Have I fully divested myself from this manic behavior? No. But I have refused to allow social media to get a stranglehold on me. And the reason that I believe that I have been successful is because that I've not allowed these interactions to take priority over God, family, friends, and real life experiences. Most of all, I've not allowed the desire to be popular or liked change who I am in an attempt to hide my flaws and only show my most favorable side to promote a stellar brand identity. Let me ask a question. Does 500 likes on Facebook mean that anyone really likes you? Don't be fooled. I would much rather just be real. There's no pressure in just being yourself. Although I have put myself in the position to offer both the professional and the personal side of my life, it does not mean that I'm willing or even capable of being shaped or molded into the person that you would have me to be. This is what I know. No matter how precise your measurements, I will never fit into the box you have for me. When it's all said and done, if you can't go out into the real world without feeling the pressure to be restricted to just one facet of who you are all the time, maybe you're doing it all wrong. I'm no expert, but I am who I am 100% of the time. And I don't feel pressure to be anyone else or just show a portion of who I am to fit in and not stand out. If you're afraid to be yourself, you need to sit back and think it through and figure out what it is you're truly afraid of. Just be honest with yourself. That's the first step to remove the mask that would hide your true identity. No matter what people might say, there's really only one measure of who you are, and that is a measure of truth. We live in a world today where broadcast media has fallen from its once lofty pedestal, the primary source of accurate, concise news and information, to an industry in a state of panic. Faced with the ongoing challenge of monetizing digital news due to the intricate open-source complexities of the Internet, we find that instead of newspapers, magazines, and TV networks being separate entities, we now see that they're all merely divisions of the same media conglomerate. In the end result, we find a culture of networks that have evolved to make truth and accuracy secondary, and the pursuit of ratings, advertising dollars, and the buzz of social media the news desk primary focus. The once rare occurrence has become the standard and the code of ethics that held the profession of journalism in check is long forgotten, as well as its often touted quotes that were carefully placed in a network statement of retraction and apology for unvetted news stories gone awry. The factual basis for news 
has taken a back seat to its emotional value and viral potential. This is so much a part of the new media debacle that you can hardly find news stories or even a weather report for that matter that have not been exaggerated with a healthy dose of sensationalism, scare tactics, or unwarranted possible tragic outcomes. Shaping public opinion used to be a part of a network's identity that they would reiterate with a daily barrage of blurbs that were meant to educate or reinforce their values or politics that define their mission and would hopefully make them stand out among their competitors as a unique source. Although media seems to have the full attention of the corporate and political base, it seems to be losing its control and status in the realm of public opinion. Most have given up on trying to drive these opinions and are now relying more and more on trying to follow rather than lead and focus on early discovery and adaptation of social media trends in order to hopefully appear to be in line with public opinion. Look, there's a hole in the wall of new media, but the way I see it, the problem's not the hole. The problem is the wall. It's what's hidden behind the wall or veil, if you will, is new media's failing. It's no secret that the media has for some time focused on how to earn viewers' loyalty and trust in order to control how and what we think. But the veracity of social media's information exchange has forced new media to rethink their programming and interaction with this new type of viewer that is evolving and growing at a faster pace that can be accurately measured by today's benchmarks. With the on-camera presence of the laptop on virtually every newscast, media has conveniently presented a viable resource that the viewer could very well use to get the same information. This once sedentary audience is now supplementing their viewing experience with a healthy dose of online multitasking and have become very tech savvy and needs to be recognized as capable of news gathering, critical thinking, and fact checking from multiple sources at a moment's notice, voicing their point of view and quickly becoming a viable part of the story through public opinion, which then gives them an even greater role on how news is compiled and disseminated. Our world is rapidly changing, as is our response to news stories and the tactics that can be used effectively to captivate audiences. Some of these tactics that are still used are rapidly becoming outdated. For example, when I hear a news teaser that tells me that I would need to tune in at 10 or 11 to get the full story, I'm no longer at the mercy of the network. As a matter of fact, if I am indeed interested, I search the topic myself on the Internet to find the information that they would want me to wait to hear. And I find that by the time the story airs at 10 or 11, 1. I have more information on the same story that was presented in the newscast. 2. I have already had plenty of time to discuss it in detail with my wife and form my own opinion. 3 tweeted, posted the topic or news story on Facebook and Google+, LinkedIn from the sources that I've found, and four, I've had the time to respond to the comments from the network of friends and responders, and five, by the time the story airs at 10 or 11, not only am I not further informed by its 40 to 90 second contribution, I'm also unimpressed. 
Am I the only one who takes this approach? I think not. This is rapidly becoming the norm. Just as YouTube has fostered a culture of content that is promoted after it's produced based on its organic interest and buzzworthy measure on the social media trend curve, we find that new media's attempts to manufacture or counterfeit this kind of response has led to awkward, failed attempts that merge new media concepts with old production standards that, in effect, creates a random hodgepodge that often falls short on both production and execution. Just as Facebook has shown it's far better to go to where the traffic is than to spend the money and resources it takes to drive traffic to you, we see a new paradigm in web analytics that has a repeating theme that reveals that the free, trending social media solution that everyone's talking about is what's more often the most effective. Now that the public has fully embraced this powerful new tool of social media and can now dictate by their actions how and where they would like to receive and align themselves with sources of news and information, it's clear that some changes need to be made. Although I do have some answers due to over a decade in media and some astute observations, I can say this. What is most important in this ever-changing world of new media, information technology, and social media is that new media visionaries stay focused in order to get that first glimpse of what's new on the horizon and project and plan for its potential impact and opportunity accordingly. So it's imperative in order to gain this advantage that first and foremost that we are at least looking in the right direction. I'm confident to say that I'm looking in the right direction and am in the process of perfecting a system of digital media standards that produce social interaction engines that will easily power the social media vehicle of the day and quickly be dropped into the new media model of the future. It's not as difficult as one might think. We just need to see our viewers as trusted partners and not a captive audience. I predicted the death of the printed newspaper back in 2004 for this very same reason. Now, you would think that with all this talk about what's wrong in new media, that I would have all the answers. Well, I don't. But I promise, though, that in the near future, it will be very clear that I have taken up the banner to be a key player in this new media transition and I have committed myself to do my part to rage against the machine. But this is a major undertaking, that although I've laid the groundwork, it will require the support and expertise of some very talented and dedicated individuals. Believe it or not, I think I've got that part taken care of. I have put together my own dream team of visionaries, if you will, that are some of the most dynamic, forward, critical thinkers that the industry has never heard of. Well, not in this capacity anyway. And our unorthodox approach to new media standards will be a catalyst for change and a successful transition. But honestly, our work has just begun. I could puff out my chest and speculate and make vast projections about this new undertaking. After all, I'm honored and humbled 
at the task and clear vision that God has given me. Yes, I could say more, but anything beyond that requires a measure of truth. Well, we've just come to the end of another great show. Special thanks to our producers, Doris Shropshire and Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.